We're back in the Brian Corner Cafe. It's That Stack of Books. I'm Steve Scher. I'm Nancy Pearl. Robin Lindley. Betsy Lindley. Laura Corvey. Katie Sewell. Judy Ostro. A full, small table. And we're all here thinking about how our lives should be turned into books. We're all going to write memoirs at some point, so we have to know who we are. Somebody wrote a memoir about, uh, you know, sitting at the Bryant Corner, akin to the Algonquin, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, we all better be really good writers in the days ahead. Uh, or, or really witty. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> how about we just are good at eating cookies? <laughs> Yes, that's why we love coming to the Brian Corner Cafe, because the cookies are half price on Tuesdays. <laughs> that is a good reason. What, what prompted you to even think of Is this going to be a year of memoirs? I thought we had the year of memoirs already. Oh, no, I think this is going to be the, who knows what 2015 is going to be, but I think we're going to get a goodly number of memoirs, because I think it's a very popular um, uh, kind of writing uh, with readers. Uh, people really like to see other people's lives in various, under various stresses or whatever. Do you think that's emerging as just part of our um, navel-gazing culture? Is it, and memoirs have always been around, but is, there's a flood of them? I, I don't know if there's really a flood of them. I, I think that um, maybe larger than a trickle, maybe a stream of them, <laughs> but it hasn't, I don't think, yet I could be wrong, because I'm so-so about memoirs. I, they're not my favorite thing to read. Um, partly because, you know, the first two letters of memoir are M-E, and I just feel like um, I, 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 I just get a little tired of that uh, self-absorption. Yeah, well, that is the modern times, self-absorption. Maybe everybody put their memoirs on YouTube. What were the books that you were attracted to? Or, or, or not. <laughs> no, I, so here's a book that I, I just really loved. And now that I think about it, it's a little less a memoir than you could argue it's a biography. It's by a writer for the New York Times, Roger Cohen. And it's the story of his mother. And it's called um, The Girl from Human Street, Ghosts of Memory in a Jewish Family. And it's about as the title says, about um, a young girl who is Roger Cohen's mother and who grew up, whose family moved from Lithuania to South Africa. And she grew up in South Africa, got married there, the family moved to, um, to London, a lot of travel back and forth. And he talks in this book, first of all, it was fascinating. Remember last week, Steve, when we did this, you talked about the mystery by the Ghanaian writer and how interesting that was to you. So this was really interesting to me, partly because I had never read about the Jewish population of South Africa, that that was one of the places that, that the Jews went. And so reading about that and about the families there, um, Roger Cohen's mother's family and his father's family, and then looking at the way he talks about the kind of displacement of particularly 20th century Jews, the Holocaust uh, just being one of the displaced, you know, the one of the factors, and how that sense of not belonging, the kind of anti-Semitism that they found in South Africa, that they found in London, um, the fact that their village in Lithuania, their family's village in Lithuania was basically 
the Jewish community in Lithuania was destroyed. And all of that really gave his mother, sent his mother into this um, emotional tailspin. And she, in the 50s, interestingly, I believe, like Sylvia Plath, had um, electroconvulsive therapy and then decided that she was done with that. So, I I mean, I think what I liked about this book is that it never descends into, um, uh, you know, poor me. It never descends into pathos. It, it, It really is so interesting about the way external events can affect somebody who maybe has a tendency toward depression, which I think his mother's family probably did. What makes memoirs interesting, though, is that they do put a personal face on history, and that is a great thing. I mean, there there could be a slew of books uh, comparing the Jewish experience in the 20th century that you could read that are memoir-based. That's, that is something that's very positive about memoirs, yes? Oh, totally. I think that, that's, total, that's totally true. What, you know, what always happens with me is that many of those memoirs are really heartfelt and, and brave to write, but they're just not, the writing just doesn't thrill me, you know, and, or it doesn't, it, it doesn't get above that kind of what I feel, and I have very high standards, is winsworthy. You know, I just, I just read it and think, oh, no, don't, you know, don't do that. That's not, that's... Did you like David Laskin's The Family? I did, I did like David Laskin's The Family, and another book that's similar to The Family is by a guy named Daniel Mendelssohn, and it's called the lost searching for six of six million which in which he goes back and tries to find out the fate of his great uncle and his great uncle's family and oh my gosh it is just it's beautifully written it is um as all these books are uh in a way heartbreaking of course but Daniel Mendelssohn is a classic scholar, and the book is also about sort of biblical, biblical um, exegesis. How do you pronounce that? E x e g e s i s exegesis. So there's all of that. Um, so I highly recommend *The Lost*, looking for six of six million, and that's another one that does this and gives you a sense of a wonderful sense of history. But there's, do you remember that book by Blaine Hardin that came out about um, a North Korean escaping from the North Korean prison? Well, I was just reading last night that, you know, some of the things in that account that Blaine Hardin heard from that guy were not necessarily true. That's the danger of the memoir, right? I remember getting in big trouble with Mary Carr because I said, did this really happen? And and David Sedaris said that same. At least David Sedaris says, look, it's a memoir through my mind. Yeah, it's one of my favorites that I read not too long ago was The End of Your Life Book Club by Will Schulte. And it's really a memoir about his mother's life. Uh, But what an amazing woman she was. And that's one of my favorite books. I hope lots of people read it. Yeah, The End of Your Life Book Club by Will Schwab. 
Schwab, yeah, um, S-C-H-W-A-L-B, is just a wonderful account of a terrific woman. I mean, when I read that, I had two wishes. One, I wish that Will Schwab's mother had been my mother. I think that would have just been wonderful. And the other was, I wished that I, I hoped that, that my children would think about me the way Will Schwab thought about his mother. Uh, you know, that I could be that kind of mother who, I, I mean, she was, she was truly a remarkable woman. And what a wonderful tribute to her. They will. By the way, Winsworthy, I think we should do a show on where you excise some Winsworthy uh, topics. I want to ask you folks about memoirs that you may remember that you liked, also what you're reading, but did you have a second memoir that you had been thinking about? Another memoir that I really loved, uh, again, because well, it's called Cakewalk by Kate um, Moses, I think is her last name. Um, and it's, uh, it, first of all, it has a happy childhood, which you don't really find a lot in memoirs. The, uh, and, but every, every um, chapter ends with baking recipes. And the recipe for brownies, if you're so inclined, uh, is worth the price of the book. Uh, so it's called Cakewalk. And I just thought that was an absolute delight. And another older memoir is by Haven Kimmel. Do, do, do anybody remember that book? Um, I, all right, I got it. You can. Okay. Well, here, while I look it up, I'll just say this. Cakewalk Adventures in Sugar with, <laughs> with Margaret Brown, B-R-A-U-N. No, that's no, not that's it. That's not it? No. Oh, no, it's not. But I like that one. How about Kate Moses, Cakewalk, yes. a memoir? Yes. Oh, I was right. Kate Moses, Cakewalk, a memoir. You'll love it. Well, I like the one about sugar. <laughs> I'd like right. to know about the adventures in sugar this lady is having. Um, what know, was what was the other one? The other one is Haven Kimmel's memoir, which was her first book, A Girl Named Zippy, Growing Up Small in Moreland, Indiana, is the subtitle. And it's just one of the most, just a wonderful, funny, warm story of this family and um, and Haven Kimmel has a particularly uh, I find interesting skewed view of um, of life and but but what we're saying goes for this as well because it's a world that many of us I grew up in Detroit there's no way growing up small in Detroit Michigan is gonna you know gonna make it but you know here's small town small town life and um, her mother lies on the couch all day reading science fiction, particularly Isaac Asimov, and eating popcorn. Well, I love Isaac Asimov, and I certainly love popcorn. So it appeals to me. That's very good. Um, uh, anybody have memoirs that they really liked? Or that uh, anybody have any opinions about? Do you have, opi- you have opinions about things, Robin Lindley? What, what's your opinion about memoirs? Are you a reader? Well, I, I read a lot of them, and I, one that I really struck me, I interviewed Ted Sorensen a while back on, uh, you know, probably six years ago, and he wrote a memoir called Counselor and, and covered his days working with President Kennedy as his chief aide and, and uh, 
and speechwriter and uh, talked a lot about um, his role in, in writing for the president uh, and before his role in writing Profiles and Courage and that. So that was a, that's a fascinating memoir with a lot of history. And then he later uh, worked with a lot of international issues as, a, as an attorney. Good book. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's a fascinating memoir in terms of uh, bringing that period of time to life and and uh, uh, offering you know a view of President Kennedy that you might not get another work because he worked so closely with him, but wasn't a you know a real high profile figure at the time, and uh, you know I, I thought a lot about memoirs and there's a couple. I go back to World War I, it seems a lot, but Vera Britton's uh, Testament of Youth, uh, she worked as a nurse and lost a lot, her, uh, I think her fiance and, and her brother during World War I, and that's really a, um, a powerful memoir about that time. And then Robert Graves' uh, book, Goodbye to All That, about his memoir about his service in World War I. Yeah. Do you, read, do you read memoirs? Is that a memoir part of your uh, I mostly be- read graphic novel memoirs, yeah. to be honest. Like <laughs> um, Persepolis. Persepolis, Mouse. I, I can't even name all of them. Because it seems like there's a lot of memoirs that are written as graphic novels, and that keeps me more interested. With the exception of the book I mentioned last week, which is Yoga Bitch, which is a memoir. But originally it was supposed to be fiction, but you joked about the year of the memoir. That was not selling as fiction. So they said, well, isn't this based off your life? Rewrite it actually as what happened in your life. Well, well at least they asked her to rewrite it. I mean, that's my problem with memoirs. Oh, yeah, it was totally over, overhauled from what I understand. But. So there is, um, yeah, there's another uh, graphic memoir called Cancer Vixen, A True Story, which is the story of a, a woman who discovers that she has cancer and what happens to her as as that that those first couple of years progress and one of the neat things in there is that she has to have a needle biopsy and she shows in in the in the pictures in the book the actual size of the needle and um, I, I just thought that was a really it was a it was a really interesting um, account that that I think was much more that worked so much better as a graphic novel than it would as a straight. Well, partly she's a cartoonist and you know publishes in the New Yorker, so I mean she's very talented as, as that kind of thing. But that might be something you might want to read. I don't think you need to have cancer or have anybody who you know close to you, heaven forbid, right? And wasn't there a local? I'm forgetting her name. The local author who wrote Marbles about. Yes. Her mental illness. Yes. Is that Ellen 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 Forney? Forney, Yep. Did marbles. Right. Anybody else? Well, there are a couple other. uh, uh, There's uh, Ellen Forney's book is excellent. It goes uh, uh, speaking of portraying uh, a personal story uh, on a particular illness, uh, her bipolar disorder, and then you have Roz Chast who wrote, "Can't we talk about?" something more pleasant which is about her experience with her aging parents and then Bob Mankoff uh, did a great uh, not not a graphic memoir but a memoir with a lot of his cartoons he's the cartoon editor of the New Yorker called uh, uh, 
How about Never is Never Good for You, based on one of his most famous cartoons. Uh, and those are wonderful reads from the last couple of years. Well, I must be, be on the shallow end of the pool, because lately I've been reading, I read the John Cleese memoir about Monty Python, and I've been, uh, re I read Dick Cavett's first memoir again, just because I was curious about Dick Cavett, and I read a Walter Cronkite memoir, so I, I guess I'm dabbling in the... Did you read the one about Jack Benny written by his daughter? I think no. it's called Sunday Nights at 7. Was it it's harsh? It's quite entertaining. Uh, um, no, it's not terribly harsh. She obviously really, really liked her father and maybe didn't like her mother quite as much. No. <laughs> we'll be back to the show in a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. As you know, I mentioned we're going to have sponsors. In this case, the sponsor is me and another podcast I'm producing. If you like in-depth conversations with scholars visiting the University of Washington, check out At Length with Steve Scher. This past week, I talked to the scholar Eric Avila. Avila is a historian from University of California, Los Angeles. He looks at the way space in America reveals racial, political divides. One of his subjects is Disneyland. I think of Disneyland as kind of a mapping of a kind of white, suburban, conservative, unconscious, if you will. You know, if you think about the landscape of Disneyland, if you think about the design of Disneyland, it, it conforms in so many ways to the emergence of a white, suburban, conservative politics that actually, not surprisingly, came out of Orange County through people like Barry Goldwater, Ronald Reagan, and Richard Nixon in the 1950s and 60s. Um, I see Walt Disney as, as sharing a lot of the political values and, and mindset of, of those uh, figures who emerged during the Cold War to kind of spearhead what, what we now know as the new right. Will you even uh, connect Walt Disney with Ronald Reagan through the opening of a, a Disneyland uh, yes. event in 55? Right. Yes, those connections were already there. I just discovered them and kind of brought them to light in this chapter on Disneyland. You can hear the entire conversation I had with Eric Avila via Skype at the podcast at length with Steve Share. You can find it on iTunes. You can search for it through Google. You can find links at our website, that stack of books with Nancy Pearl and Steve Scher. Take a listen. Tell me what you think. All right? Back to the show. So what else are you all reading? What are you, what are you reading? Well, I haven't read it yet, but last night at Town Hall, I went to see Wes Moore talk about his new book. And actually, his first book sounded really interesting to me, and I'd never heard of him before. So The Other Wes Moore, have you read it? The Other Wes Moore, I, th it, I thought it was a fascinating a fascinating way of looking at issues in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, issues of, of uh, poverty, issues of race, issues of just all the things that we kind of, you know, wring our hands justifiably yeah. about. But yeah, I think, I think um, it's very, very worth reading. And a lot of communities, several communities have chosen that as their community reads books so it would be a good book for a book group it would be yeah well my understanding was is that they grew up in the same neighborhood in Baltimore these two Westmores and in poverty both of them and both had a lot of problems when they were young 
and the Westmore I went to here had some people helping him and really getting him on the right track, which changed his trajectory. The other Westmore didn't have that and ended up in jail for life. And the first Westmore then contacted him and has been seeing him ever since and trying to understand the differences between you know, success and not success. That sounds like a fascinating yeah. book. What, were you, he, he spoke at Town Hall? He was at Town Hall what, last what was night. his he has another message? Book. He has another book out now on finding the, finding, finding the meaning of life. Finding, he ended up working in the White House, and he's a highly decorated veteran. And, I mean, he's just really done incredibly well and very well spoken. Um, but I think it's interesting. And he worked on Wall Street and was completely unhappy and just said, you know, I'm successful in everybody else's eyes, but in my eyes, I'm just, you know, is this all there is? You know? Laura, so, that sounds like a great yeah, book, Laura. Yeah. That's very cool. What are you reading, Katie Sewell, anything? Well, I just finished a book, so I'm looking for the next one. What was the book you I read The Obituary Writer by Ann Hood, which was really good. Um, I've been going through my shelves of books that have been sitting there for a long time that I own but I have never read. And it was jumping back and forth between 1912 or 19, somewhere in there, and, um, and 1961. Back and forth with these two women's lives, and they're both... Um, I mean, it's kind of a sad book in some ways, but it circles around uh, when Jackie, what Jackie Kennedy is going to be wearing at the inauguration in 1961. So it's got these fun elements to it where all the neighborhood women are betting on what she'll be wearing. You're reading that in part because you're thinking about the topic for your new podcast? Yes, which will someday come out maybe mid-February. This is your podcast on death. Yes, it's called In Black Ink. It's about life through the lens of death, Steve. Yes, so it's I about understand. living, not just dying. Please. But, but that might have been why I was attracted to the title. But That's a great idea for a whole show, though, isn't it? The books you've saved that are on your shelf that you've never read. But no, I think that's great. You're coming back to those books. I have a slew of those. I bet we all do, right? Mm-hmm. Judy, what are you reading? Well, I'm working my way slowly through Lawrence in Arabia. And I say slowly. It's very densely written. Uh, so extensively researched that if you look in the back of the book, almost every page has at least one, if not two or three notes um, that, that support what the, ma- what the uh, author is saying. It is, on the other hand, utterly fascinating. Uh, before he became the flamboyant Lawrence of Arabia, he was actually started out as an archaeologist, um, and then um, he was attached to the British... Um, uh, military in, uh, in, in, um, as an s- intelligence officer in Cairo in the first years of the First World War. But the ineptness, the arrogance, the mis- <laughs> sheer incompetence of the way that war was handled is just appalling. I read some books about Lawrence before he was Lawrence yeah. and, and, and after, too, when he became, uh, we tried to hide his identity as David Ross, I think was one of his names. Or, I can't remember the names he had, but his growing up, his youth was very bizarre mm-hmm. and, and fascinating. And those were good books, too. Mm-hmm. I went on a Lawrence binge one time. Yeah. Are you reading? Do you have a book you're reading, Betsy? I am reading The Cuckoo's Egg by Clifford Stahl. And it's an old book. It's a, um, it's a true story about computer hacking. It was written in 1989. And it's um, about espionage. And it's a mystery. And my neighbor is a professional hacker. <laughs> he works for people to prevent and, and, and help. Really? He's one of those guys? Yeah, he really is. 
he introduced himself as a hacker. So, um, and he professionally tries to prevent hacking. But I, it's really a good read. Robin, what are you reading? I uh, just finished Hammer's Shoulder Life by uh, Roger Lipsy. And this is a really comprehensive uh, biography of Dog Hammerschold. In telling the story of Dog Hammerschold, he combines uh, the thought of Dog Hammerschold that came out of his correspondence and writing with uh, the events that were going on in his life as the second uh, Secretary General of the UN. And it's particularly timely because the UN just voted in December to re-examine the death of Dog Hammarskjöld in September of 1961 when his plane crashed in northern Rhodesia. He was there to uh, uh, attempt to uh, uh, negotiate a ceasefire between rebels in Katanga and uh, the Republic of Congo. And at the investigations at the time attributed his death to pilot error, but there's a lot of evidence that's come out since then uh, that uh, indicates there may have been foul play. Hammerschold was really a pioneered some of the the tactics that are used today such as shuttle diplomacy and the use of peacekeepers in uh, conflict zones. I just finished a book, The Extreme Life of the Sea, which is a natural history book by uh, Stephen and Tony Palumbi, and uh, it, it was a very fun romp. What did he want it to be? A joyous book about what marvelous life there is in the ocean because he didn't want to beat people over the head with the fact that once again uh, we're killing the oceans and he was part of a study that was in the New York Times just two weeks ago that said uh, you know we don't do anything soon we're gonna the oceans are gonna go the way of the land so he he wanted to write a fun book to get people excited to uh, to think about how to preserve the ocean that was a great book and I'm I think I, did I mention this I'm finishing up John Marsliff's book Suburbia which is um, John Marsliss from the University of Washington has written a book about the value in habitat that we can create in our built-over environments. He's done all this research about what amazing habitat can be created even in industrial zones if we just take the time to you know, take one parking lot or one parking strip and plant it with native plants. The birds will connect the, the matrix themselves. He talks about avoiders, exploiters, and adapters. And of course, the avoiders, we don't see. The exploiters, we know what they are, you know, crows and gulls. And then these adapter birds that are really very interesting birds that can persist if we provide them habitat. Suburbia, like suburbia, but suburbia. What, what else are you reading right now? Well, I'm reading a book that I, maybe I'll talk about coming up, but it's called 1913. Um, it's by a German uh, uh, journalist. It, this is his first book. His books are bestsellers in Germany, but it's the first book that's been published, translated and published in the U.S. And it's a month-by-month -month account of what was going on in 1913. Um, not so, a little bit of politics, but mostly in the art and the music world, the cultural world, and it's uh, and the literary world. So there's, I mean, it takes all these people uh, that I don't know very much. I mean, I'm not good. Uh, music was never what I, I, I know nothing about music, basically, except maybe the names of people. But, um, you know, Rilke, he talks about what was happening to Rilke, you, and Kafka, you know, Kafka, 
it was just as as weird in his in his real being as he was in his as his writing shows. But you know, um, 1913, for example, was the year that the drug that's known as ecstasy was first patented. 1913, it was first patented and then forgotten about for many, many um, decades. So in the reading of this book, do you find out why it was invented in no. the first place? No, you don't. You don't find that out. And and it's just written in a very, very conversational way. And you could see that he's having a lot of fun with um, with the subjects. And, and his the bibliography is pretty darn impressive. You know, all the memoirs that he wrote, read, all the biographies that he read. And just to, to it, you just have to sit there with an encyclopedia or, a, you know, a tablet, an iPad next to you because you want to look up everybody. Um, the artist, uh, Franz Marc, was always, has always been one of my favorite artists and to read about his group of, of painters. And, you know, Vienna was a major place for, for art, music, literature, all of those, all of those things. And those artists, I mean, we think about, like, the, the you know, the sexual revolution of the 1960s well, Vienna in 19, you know, 1913 and 1920, like they had nothing. I mean, we had whatever, however that phrase goes. I mean, there was so much of that. It was so interesting. It's just fascinating. This is a fascinating, fascinating book, and I highly recommend it. Well, I think one of the reasons that, that uh, there are other books on that, that year, because the world changed completely uh, after 1913, so... Yeah, this doesn't it, this doesn't focus on that. I mean, you could see that coming. You know, um, he talks about Hitler as a painter, but you don't. But you don't. Uh, you know, it's not a political history. It's really a cultural history of the time. And and to read that, it just expands your mind. I mean, there's all this stuff you want to look for. You want to look up and find more about these people and. I loved it. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I think it's great. We started with memoirs and we ended on ecstasy. Uh, <laughs> you can find us at thatstackofbooks.com. You found us uh, iTunes, Stitcher, some other places emerging. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter, at ThatStack, and at Facebook, that stack of Books with Nancy Pearl and Steve Scher. And we hope you will send us some pictures of your... Uh, your little free libraries, or maybe all the books you've saved on your bookshelf that you're yet going to read. We'll have to do that that show. Last words? Um, I was going to say, send us a picture of that stack of books. Indeed, do that. Thank you all. <laughs>